Welcome to lucky episode 13 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is my 5G partner in crime, Anshul Sag. So let's get started with my topic. So I'm gonna label this first of three, my geo uh, take on the news. And first up is uh, the Chinese government. And there was news this week that they're mulling sanctions against of all infrastructure providers, Nokia and Ericsson, and it's around allowing them to manufacture their products within China. Um, is this rationale you know, you know, valid given the US pressure on China? I commented on Twitter about this. I don't think so. It's, you know, it's very protectionist and certainly Ericsson and Nokia have other capabilities to produce within the Asia region, you know, possibly South Korea, even, you know, Japan. So Angel, what's your take on all this? Um, it's very retaliatory. Um, it, it's, I would say it's less protectionist and more retaliatory yeah. um, because Ericsson and Nokia are seen as alternatives to Huawei um, sure. abroad. And I see this as a uh, purely political move to uh, one, bolster Huawei, even though Huawei has something like 60 or 70% market share in China, mm -hmm. um, and basically bolster the Chinese vendors at the cost of um, damaging foreign companies that have done nothing um, or have right. any governmental association at all. So it's, or, it's yeah. problematic. Yeah, or, you know, or any, you know, real concrete concerns. And obviously the U.S. contends that there are security issues with Huawei gear. They can't share that based on national security concerns, but there, there aren't really any, you know, any real, you know, justifications for why China's doing this other than, to your point, uh, to be protectionist and re retaliatory. So it'll be interesting how it, it all rolls out. The second part of my geo theme here on the first question is uh, centered on the United Kingdom. And they're exploring other, you know, infrastructure solutions, uh, given the void that's going to be created by Huawei. Uh, it's no secret. We talked about this last week that they have uh, they have voted and approved uh, the rip the rip and replace of, of LTE infrastructure and uh, the deployment of non Huawei gear for 5G. But it's interesting that the UK is turning to Japan. They're, they're, they're considering companies like NEC and Fujitsu that don't have a lot of depth in cellular infrastructure. Um, any, any comments on your part, Angel? Um, I think it's a very uh, early stage kind of outreach um, because I don't think it, like you said, I don't think they're anywhere near prepared, as prepared as they could be or should be. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is kind of a piggybacking on what's been going on um, with uh, Rakuten um, mm -hmm. and seeing that you know, they're, they're basically like, uh, okay, what is Rakuten doing as a new vendor that's different that we can possibly leverage um, mm -hmm. as a uh, rap more rapid uh, replacement for, you know, Huawei equipment? Because I think they have what, till 2027 or something like that? That's right, yeah. Um, so I think, that's a, I think that's a longer timeline than the UK government wants but they've chosen that date because it's what's reasonable um, for the long, you know, the life of infrastructure. Um, but I, I think it's too early. I don't think we really know how ready they are until, you know, yeah. it really starts to roll out full commercial networks. Yeah. And I, you know, and obviously, you know, you've got, you know, homegrown European heroes and Ericsson and Nokia. So, 
you know, it, it would make sense for them to be considered in the mix as well. But I agree with you, it's really early on. So let's move to your first topic this week. And you've got an, an update on T-Mobile and 5G. Yeah, so T-Mobile um, made some big announcements uh, last week around their scam shield. This week, mm -hmm. um, it was an update on uh, one 5G availability uh, that they open signaled did a analysis of, of actual network data and found that T-Mobile's network, 5G network was available 22.5% of the time um, and that Sprint was available 14% of the time, which mm -hmm. they are now turning off. So if you combine yeah. it, they're already at 36%. Um, and then uh, AT&T was at 10% and Verizon was at 0.4%, um, mm -hmm. which, which is quite low. Um, and they also said that, you know, they're rolling out um, their uh, 2.5 gigahertz network, um, which is basically the reforming of Sprint Spectrum um, in Houston, Chicago, in L and LA, in addition to Philadelphia and New York. Um, so they're, they're rolling out a lot more cities, which 2.5 gives them a lot more bandwidth and a lot more coverage um, and uh, is very complementary to 600. Um, and then finally, they also said that they're going to be rolling out standalone um, in Q3, which means that um, they're going to have a full full bore 5G network with, you know, everything that you would expect a 5G network to have in terms of spec and capability. Four plus radio, yeah. Um, by the end of the year, which means that, you know, T-Mobile's latencies on 5G could be very low. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, AT&T announced earnings. I'm going to talk about that in a, in a moment. Um, there was also an announcement, um, you know, around 5G availability. Um, on an analyst call, um, one of the executives was asked point blank uh, when to expect AT&T's rollout at standalone. And I noticed some degree of hesitance. So, you know, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, T-Mobile's being a very, you know, very aggressive here. And they may very well be the first to deliver a standalone um, I mobile think so. network. Yeah. I think they'll be first, which is a bit surprising because I really thought that AT&T was much further along, mm -hmm. um, you know, with all the virtualization that they've been doing to their network. Um, but I guess there might be some components of their 5G network that they hadn't upgraded that would have given them that ability to go SA. Right. Um, but I mean, you know, you can't have SA, you can't have real 5G like what people are expecting from 5G without having SA. So the sooner you have SA, the quicker you can start onboarding these new use cases that are latency sensitive and you can actually get developers to start using your network to build apps. And I think that's really the key is getting SA out there quickly means that you're gonna get developers access to this newer networking and start developing new applications for it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you know, test beds have been made available. You know, I've visited, you know, foundry locations with AT&T. I've, I've visited the Verizon Alley and they're offering test beds to mobile game designers and developers and that sort of thing, but it's very limited. And until you get that, like you mentioned, that ubiquitous deployment, that's when you're gonna start seeing the real innovation from my perspective. So, and since we're on the subject of AT&T, that'll be my second topic. So they did announce uh, two key earnings. Um, and I mentioned that 5G announcement, so let's cover the earnings first. So as expected, um, revenue was soft, you know, given um, the inability for, you know, subscribers to get physically to stores and activate new lines of service, although there may have been some of that going on, you know, online and that sort of thing. But churn looked, you know, um, very stable, reported some of the lowest churn numbers that they've seen in quite some time. 
um, cash flows very strong, and they also mentioned that they took advantage of the extremely low interest rates, like a lot of us have in refinancing our homes, to, uh, to refinance their debt structure. So from a balance sheet perspective, they're looking super solid. And then um, they kind of, I called a one-two punch today, um, a few hours later in the day, um, AT&T announced what their forward-looking plans were for pricing 5G. And what it uh, involves is providing um, um, 5G access at no additional charge over LTE for certain tiers of subscribers, both consumer and business unlimited plans. And certainly there'll be some lower tiers where you know, they'll have to pay additionally. But what I found missing from that announcement was no focus on Warner Media. It's a great asset. You know, everyone knows that you know, AT&T acquired Time Warner. They've got all these rich content assets. Uh, there's a lot of AR and VR opportunity there. And on that same analyst call, uh, when asked, you know, it seemed like, you know, uh, AT&T was talking more about the access and not about use case. And not, not to throw them under the bus, like I've mentioned, I've spent a lot of time with them. I've been in the foundries. I've seen what they're doing to develop really, you know, innovative use cases like mixed reality and public safety, um, you know, IoT and that sort of thing. But I felt like, you know, that was sort of the missing equation for me. Uh, any thoughts on your part? Yeah, I think um, with the new CEO in charge, um, the company is definitely more focused on the network and access um, mm -hmm. and much less on content, especially yeah. when you consider um, some of the problems that they've had with losing subscribers on the TV side, specifically DirecTV. Mm -hmm. um, so I think um, they're not helping themselves in that business by refocusing too heavily on the network itself. Um, obviously, the network is extremely important because it's what sure. delivers this content. Um, and, you know, I, I think that they, you, like you said, they have a very strong portfolio and they should be leveraging it more aggressively. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the, the one thing that's missing is that they are, you know, a very large company with a lot of resources. And I think that they should absolutely be working more closely with, um, the, uh, the, the the partner parts of Warner that are kind of you know advanced like AR VR mm -hmm. um, and leveraging those more aggressively. Um, yeah, I thought yeah. it was really clever what they were doing with Shape. I think Shape was yeah. a very very good event um, at the Warner that, Brothers Studios. Yeah, you yeah, and I attended gave, several of those. In the, in that the gave me a lot of optimism around what AT and T was doing, and I feel like this is kind of a step back. Um, and yeah, I don't actually think it's a good idea for any vendor to be charging extra for 5G. Um, I, I think that um, T-Mobile has the right vision in that sense, that um, you should be getting people on 5G as fast as possible, regardless of what it costs, because you need to scale and you want to move as many people over to 5G yeah. as you can as fast as possible, because um, yeah. that's how you amortize it. By, by charging people for it, um, either you are saying that you're not, you don't think it's ready and that you can't handle all the users or that you want to find another way to pay for it and scale isn't how you do it, which doesn't make any sense because AT&T is a massive operator. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'm an advocate. I, you know, we both can, you know, weekly. And, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of, you know, focusing on, on service delivery. And, and, you know, and then that's where the ARPU uplift will come when you look at mixed reality, both for consumer, but there are lots of applications for the enterprise as well. So I think 
um, it, it's a journey, and um, but I think um, certainly AT&T has all the assets at its uh, disposal. Let's shift to your second topic this week, and we were talking about Top Gun, the new Top Gun movie coming out at the end of the year, and it sounds like Top Gun may be getting 5G. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, there's a, a Marine Corps Air Base Miramar, which is actually literally my backyard, and Earlier, you might have actually heard it. I think we, we started the, the podcast right after, but uh, mm -hmm. I usually get flyovers all the time. Uh, it's a Marine Corps Air Base. It's actually one of the more high-tech military bases in America, um, partially because it's in San Diego. And um, they're actually going to be getting Verizon's 5G millimeter wave on base. Um, and it's actually going to be the first military base. Uh, I think either they're getting it or they already have it. Um, mm -hmm. But they're the first military base uh, with 5G. Um, and what's interesting is that they're also one of the first military bases to get a um, F-35 training simulator. Um, so I, I think they're looking for opportunities to increase, uh, you know, the technical capabilities of the base um, and, and basically improve uh, the experience that, you know, the soldiers get and are, you know, exposed to the latest in technology because I think if you look at what, what 5G can really enable, there's a lot of use cases, and that's why they're so worried about security. Um, because if you're deploying this network in that space, then um, you absolutely want to have a, you know, a secure 5G network. And that's you know, part of the reason why I don't think this network would have ever rolled out um, on a military base unless they were sure it was secure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I was just going to ask you about the applications. You know, you mentioned flight simulation, but I could envision, goodness, you know, you could uh, give a, you know, a soldier some sort of heads up, you know, kind of goggle. One of the HoloLens headsets, they already yeah. military. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and flight will enable them. that. Yeah. yeah. They will. I, yeah. So that, you know, so it's exciting. So, uh, well, kudos to Verizon for enabling and, that. Yeah. And the thing is, is that they can totally use that, that, 5G network as an opportunity to test this new app capability in a way they couldn't before because they just didn't have the bandwidth for it. Um, but to be fair, Verizon did also launch their 5G network in San Diego. So they already have a couple of deployments, um, which I've seen in person um, downtown-ish. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's exciting. Um, yeah. They have plans for about five or six other bases around the country. Um, this was the first one. Uh, mm -hmm. But they've got more coming uh, over the next six to 12 months. Awesome. Exciting stuff. Well, let's talk about my third topic. And uh, it's uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And they actually announced today um, they've opened a 5G lab. And it's focused on really driving open source, multi-vendor. They're inviting um, wide participation by the industry, including Nokia, which you know, I found surprising. Because I, I kind of see you know, you've got the traditional single-purpose infrastructure guys you know, in one camp, and then you've got the disaggregated compute storage guys in the other camp, there's some crossover. And as we talked about, I believe last week, um, certainly the big infrastructure providers in Nokia and Samsung are aggressively behind Open RAN where some of the others aren't. But this is really about driving open standards. And um, I've been following HPE for quite a while and their telco team, they're quite capable. They had several announcements at Discover that support 5G. And it's supporting everything from, you know, from cloud, from edge to cloud to core. And uh, it's, you know, it's quite impressive what HPE is doing. So any, any thoughts there? 
Um, not particularly. I, I do think that, you know, HPE opening up their labs is important because like you said, they need, there needs to be interop interoperability. Yeah. Um, and, you know, companies won't know what HPE's equipment can do unless they have a chance to play with it. Right. Um, and I think the labs are kind of something that a lot of companies do nowadays to expose themselves to other companies' hardware mm -hmm. um, and give other companies an opportunity to figure out what bugs they might encounter when they start, you know, having their, this infrastructure tied to their equipment. Yeah, it's an excellent point. You know, all the carriers have, have you know, validation labs. I've, I've visited Verizon uh, on the East Coast and, you know, Ericsson actually has a 5G lab that's in my home, you know, town of Austin, Texas. But it's, you know, it's great to see that HPE is jumping in the fray here. So let's move to your final topic this week. And you've got an update on China Mobile. Yeah, so China Mobile, uh, obviously the largest operator uh, in China, I believe actually the world now, um, mm -hmm. because they've got 946 million subscribers, um, which is almost a billion. Um, which yeah. is kind of hard to believe. I'd say they're pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think in China, I mean, in India, the top three are all about a 300 million each. So they okay. split a billion. Um, but China Mobile is just a billion on its own, basically. Right. And they reported that they added 14.4 million 5G subscribers in the month of June alone, which now sets them at a total of 70.2 million 5G subscribers. Uh, which is compared to the 6.7 million they had in January. Um, and they said that they um, are expecting um, to continue to grow that. Um, I think this number still falls in line with the 220 million number we were seeing uh, from the GSA, where they were mm -hmm. expecting that about 220 million subscribers globally will have 5G. Yeah. Um, so if we're you know, mid-year 70 million, I expect that to, you know, grow in pace. So they would at least double that to 140. Realistically, we're probably looking at like 150, 160 from them. Um, and that's just one operator in one country. Yeah, um, that growth rate's so, astounding, you know, from January to, to June. It's incredible. Yeah, I think it helps that one, COVID is less of a factor than it was in the beginning of the year. Good point. Um, in China, and, yeah, definitely in China. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's leveled off, yeah. So that plus, I think that there's um, a bigger 5G push now because of what happened with COVID and the government wanting to um, push vendors and OEMs. And like, you know, the smartphones didn't stop coming. So right. people are still going to keep, you know, upgrading phones and getting new phones. And, you, you know, the prices of 5G phones keep going down. So... Like, for example, um, the new uh, LG that just came out, um, it's a $600 phone, but, you know, LG is discounting to 300 on AT&T. Um, hmm. There's a ton of um, phones that are going to be coming out within the next six months that are going to be using this new cheap 5G, you know, um, chipset from Qualcomm that we wrote about or talked right. about. Well, I wrote about it and we talked about it in the previous uh, podcast, but you know, that's going to enable two to $300 5G phones. And yeah, when you have incredible. $300, you get volume. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to drive adoption and subscription. So, um, well, hey, buddy, uh, another great podcast with you this week. Why don't you take us home? Sure. Uh, we hope that our viewers and listeners found this week's podcast 
uh, interesting. And if anyone out there would like to uh, provide any insights to other topics that they would like for us to cover in a future podcast, um, we please hope that you would reach out to us on social media. Uh, Will is at Willtown Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog uh, on Twitter. Um, we hope that you guys have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.